typical, I guess, white name. My 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 whole name is. That's so. Weird. People look at my ID and they're like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Fucking <laughs> real name, dude. Well, they what people do to me all the time is they ask, "Where are you actually from?" Yeah, <laughs> that fucking question. <laughs> I gotta love that fucking question. Yeah, I'm 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 not sure if it's racist or not, but it feels racist. That's a that's always something that I think about. Mm -hmm. Being a person who's Asian, yeah. but like doesn't a hundred percent identify with it, I my view on racism, I guess, is it's something that I'm always trying to figure out. Are we like, is this actually something that truly, objectively, is racist? And the answer is usually no, because racism, in my opinion, is tribalism. It comes down to you're different, and I don't like it because you're different. They're not saying they don't like it; they just want to know how to treat you. Yeah, I mean, I can I can see instances where people are interacting where like you have one person of one tribe, one person of another, yeah. and by trying to accommodate to the other persons, it can come across as offensive. It's just it's just one of those situations where you can understand the complexity of having to interact with this other person from a different culture. Like I think with when white people deal around it with Asian people, from what I've seen with like stuff told me and like mm -hmm. other friends that. People always try to go out of their way to like be like, oh, you're Vietnamese? Mm -hmm. Bro, I love pho. <laughs> or I love pho. That's I the love, best I one. I love your culture. Is when they say pho, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was one of those assholes too, mm -hmm. like, because I wasn't really into an Asian culture before mm -hmm. I met my girlfriend. And so I was one of those idiots who called it pho. <laughs> I had no idea it wasn't otherwise. So I think that, yeah, there's definitely shit with that where, like, yeah, when people can be trying to accommodate. To your race and so and it can come across as that's a big question i have is that it's this idea of offense because i've been talking about it to a lot of people for a long time do you think offense is taken or is it given mm. it, it definitely depends on the situation i think it definitely there are situations where you have to j just be cognizant of what you're doing and how it's going to be interpreted mm -hmm. that's the most important thing it's not your job to interpret for them, right? Yes, true. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's kind of the agreement that you have anytime you interact with somebody. Mm -hmm. is that you can't control what they're going to do. You can't control if somebody has racist thoughts or presumptions and all that shit. You just have to kind of react to it. So, I don't know. There's instances where, um, because I have a Pennsylvania ID, mm -hmm. people will look at it, they'll see and for whatever reason, they reject my ID. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's the most faked ID, and it's like that thing. It looks very, thing. yeah. It's an out-of-state ID. Mm -hmm. like, and in that situation, is it because they're doing that because they see the ID and it's a Pennsylvania ID? Are they doing it because they see it's an Asian dude and his name is mm -hmm. on it? Like, you don't, you don't know these things. So I think there's just, it's, racism is a tough thing to define. Mm -hmm. I'm, because I look at myself and I try to figure stuff out just on a personal level. What would I, what would I take as racist? What would somebody have to do something to me in order for me to be like, dude, that's racist as fuck? And I think about a lot of different scenarios and I don't know how I would think about a lot of them. And I think, I don't know, people are different with how sensitive they are to certain things. Not to be too political, is that there's this debate of what is right and what is wrong to say, right? What is appropriate? <laughs> but appropriate is such a vague and, in my opinion, asinine word because appropriate depends on so many different factors. Yeah. It, it straight up, in my opinion, comes from intent. Yeah. 
If I'd your agree. intent is nice, your intent is to understand, mm-hmm. how can it be offensive? Exactly. I think, yeah. It, you can tell them, hey, you should reward that better, but that should offend you because you're not trying to hurt them. Exactly. If you say something hurtful and you're going after something hurtful, yes, then you can throw that card out. Yep, if that's your motive. Mm-hmm. Then. It goes back to motive. And motive's so hard to figure out because people lie about the motives all the time. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, there's no metric to be like, oh, you're obviously telling the truth. I believe you that mm-hmm. you did, had no racist connotation in yeah. that. No hate, no fucking mm-hmm. vitriol. Intent's a big thing, for sure. Mm-hmm. And you can get that from subtle clues, like tone. How do they talk whenever they say whatever the fuck is mm-hmm. that they say. So that's a perfect little segue into the intent of this podcast. Is the intent of this podcast, the name of this podcast, is uh, Insufferably Human. Mm. I know this intro is going to be late. It's going to be like five minutes of PS hey. and then the intro. Cold <laughs> open. Cold open. Cold intro. And the cold intro and the idea of this, in my opinion, is simply put, is how do people think, how do people react, and what makes us who we are? So the simple question to kick us all off okay. is, why do you get up every morning? Man. Going in deep. <laughs> Going in deep right off the start. <laughs> why do I wake up in the morning? Um... I mean, partially because the alarm goes off. That always helps. Mm-hmm. I think you have a sense of purpose mm-hmm. every day. I think everybody has a sense of purpose. And I think you can get lost sometimes mm-hmm. forgetting what your purpose is. So what are some basic purposes that you call simple and then we'll get into the larger purpose at some point? What's a basic purpose that you get? Up? Well, basic is I'm a graduate student. So mm-hmm. you, have a, you have a title, mm-hmm. whatever your title is. You're a cop. You're a firefighter, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor. I'm a, I'm a student still, so I'm in graduate school. So that's one purpose. You have responsibilities. You know, the whole system is built that way. So if you have a job, same thing. On a very base level, it's that. I think every day, I'm a pretty optimistic person. I think a lot of people would say, who've met me, say I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky person. So I think every day is just an opportunity to just... You know, it's a blessing. You get to do something. You get to be alive. You get to taste good food. Mm-hmm. You get to breathe in oxygen. You get to talk to people. So, it's kind cool. of where... That's exactly things. I know you a little bit. Not as well as I should. <laughs> but okay. from the stories I know, is exactly that is that you wake up with a smile. I mean, you probably wake up with a grump because the alarm goes off. But at, yeah. eventually, you get a smile on your face, and that smile is infectious. Yeah. So, when did you learn that that was a good thing? When did you learn on a basic fundamental level that being happy was cool? (laughs) I don't fucking know. That's a good question. Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. When I think back, I I had a really good childhood. I had a really good family. I I was I describe what a real good family real good childhood is. Man, okay. My my story is that I was adopted from South Korea. Mm -hmm. My biological parents gave birth to me in uh, Pusan, South Korea. Mm And at five months old, I was put up for adoption, mm-hmm. and my parents, who live in Pennsylvania, they went to an adoption agency, mm-hmm. and they just they saw a book of pictures, and they just chose my picture. Mm-hmm. You know, and a few months later, mm-hmm. I'm flying across from South Korea mm-hmm. to JFK, New York City, mm-hmm. and my parents are there to meet me. I'm five months old, mm-hmm. and that's been my life. Mm-hmm. I've been, you know, raised in a family that's all Caucasian. Mm-hmm. I'm a South Korean kid. <laughs> That's been my life. So I think my happiness just spawned from realizing at a very young age, like, 
that I have a fucking really good situation. And nobody gets to choose their parents, so you don't get to choose whether you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth or not. You have no say in that. And it's just my situation is weird because these people did choose me to be a part of their life. I don't know. So nobody gets to choose their parents, but that's just, I've always felt blessed. I've always felt very lucky that my life has worked out well. They were they were able to provide me with a bunch of stuff mm -hmm. that not everybody is privy to. Not everybody gets that opportunity. I never had to worry about getting anything. And that sounds kind of like, well, it's, <laughs> you know, smooth. it's, it's, we often admit that a lot of us, including me, is that we were born into this beautiful suburb, suburban, suburbia is a blessing. Yes. Yes. I don't like the word blessing, but it's a gift. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people forget that a lot. Yeah. But yeah. the thing is, but since you were five months old, when you start realizing that this wasn't normal, that this is strange, that your situation was strange, because I, I feel like if you're that young, grow up in that family, you think everything's normal. Yeah. You think that's normal to have, have parents that are blonde hair, blue eyed, and you have black hair, like that's fine. Yeah. When, when was that shock, but then you accept like that, that's going in deep. It was either going to school mm -hmm. or going to church. Mm -hmm. uh, my family was pretty religious, so I was exposed to going to church at a young age, and that was definitely the first moment. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, being from contained within the family, like I didn't really notice anything was different. Once I went to school, and people started looking at me differently because mm -hmm. I went to a small little rural place in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of Asian people. Not a lot. The Asian demographic isn't very popular there. So you're kind of looked at like, oh my gosh, like, okay, you're an Asian kid. Everybody else is white. And then it's coupled with the fact that, oh, and your parents are white. What the, you know, what the <laughs> fuck's going on here, man? And so like kids are going, you as a five-year-old are going through that shit. But yeah, it's just, you're going through that as five-year-olds and I'm seeing, and, and for the first time I'm seeing a legitimate difference where like all the kids that are my age, all of them are white. And you know, they're kids, they, they notice very base things. Oh, your eyes are, you know, yeah. slant here mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So like, you're like, wow, I am, I do look different. Like maybe my situation is weird. Like my parents don't look the same as me. So that's kind of like where you, when you go through it, and I think it's because I've gone through it since a young age, it's, it's not a big deal for me. That race is not a big deal for me, because I really am not sensitive about a lot of it. But, but see, that's the thing, though. It's that difference we talked about in the earlier, is that tribalism, that you were the different one, mm -hmm. but you accepted you were different, and you're okay with it. That's not... <laughs> yeah. That's not that's not typical usually. When you when you ostracize, you're the nerd, you're this guy, you're that. How was you were the only one, you were the different one. Differences as kids is no no. <laughs> yeah. At a young age, because there was that initial sort of like um not tension, because you're only you're fucking five year olds. Mm -hmm. That initial like discord between like you're one way, I look one way, you look like another way. Mm -hmm. That, I found ways to get around that or circumventing that. So some ways, describe that. Just being an idiot, just being, <laughs> just being a fucking moron. Being, being a class clown mm -hmm. was a big thing that I really gravitated towards. I didn't take school very seriously, mm -hmm. so I just liked making people laugh. Mm -hmm. Even if it was at my own expense, I didn't give a fuck. You know, there were many times that like, I talked back to teachers. I feel like an asshole about it now. But I was a smart ass. 
And so I would like, you know, joke around with the teacher and make all the kids in the class laugh. Mm -hmm. And that's how I found a way to connect with people, despite I look different than you do. Mm -hmm. And 99% of the fucking people here are one way and I'm the Mm -hmm. 1%. Is that you all laugh and enjoy the same things. Yes. Yes, that you can all bond over a teacher saying something stupid mm-hmm. as she's talking and then you like calling her out. Mm-hmm. Or just, just being an idiot, just being a stupid kid. But that's kind of how I adapted to it, mm-hmm. was finding ways to be like, or like, yeah, and getting involved in activities. Mm-hmm. Sports was a big thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you like basketball and you're okay at basketball, it doesn't matter if you're Asian, mm-hmm. black, you know, Mexican, doesn't matter. If you're good, you're good. And if you want to be on the team, they'll want you on the team. That type of stuff. And you chose, so it looks like there's two ways. It's like the idea of saying using your abilities and letting your abilities shine over who you are. The fact that you were a tall, skinny, fast kid, you're like, boom, basketball, I got this. Yeah. And practice that way. And then the other thing, which I find more fascinating, is that choice. The choice that says that, oh, I found this thing. They like me when I make them laugh. Ah, yeah. It's, that's a choice. It's a choice to say that, oh, that's how I get in. Yeah, you see, and it doesn't take it until at this moment in life mm-hmm. to figure out that that was a choice. Mm-hmm. Because at the time, it happened so... When I try to think back to what I was like when I was five years old and I first made a class laugh mm-hmm. or my friends laugh, even though I got in trouble for something, that it, that was a, deci- a conscious decision that I was making to do that versus something else but it doesn't i don't realize that until just talking about it right now it just felt like it just happens Mm -hmm. like the reactions when you're living in it so what was that bubbling feeling like describe that bubbling feeling because i am a jokester too but from (laughs) your perspective making sure that we feel the same thing why do we like people laughing what's that what do we what do you look for (laughs) i'm partial to a good dick joke i have a pretty i'm pretty crude me and my friends are pretty crude um Mm -hmm. I'm, I don't know. I think humor is just a funny thing. Mm-hmm. I, I like all different types of humor. Mm-hmm. Clever, you know, clever wit, references, it's, it's and not stuff the, like It's that. not the joke I'm looking for. It's the reaction. What do you see in the eyes? What do you see in the faces that says, oh, this is right? There's something very present when you're laughing about something, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a very emotional response. Mm-hmm. It's something that you would say bypasses conscious thought. You, you experience something, somebody tripping over something and spilling like a whole fucking cake all over themselves. Yeah. Like there's something that when you're watching that in that present moment of time that you is seeing that and experiencing that and the response of you just laughing your ass off mm-hmm. and just the feeling that you get while you're laughing, you know, that nothing else is a worry. That is just something that I think is just a pretty cool moment that like you're just very present in. So isn't that weird though? Because like when you make jokes and get into situations, don't you worry about putting yourself out there? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Me personally, I just don't really give a shit. Mm-hmm. I what I think is funny. I I try not to take myself too seriously. Mm-hmm. So if I think something's funny and somebody else doesn't, I don't take it personally that mm-hmm. they don't think it's funny. I would never presume that you should think what's funny as what I think is funny. But so because of that, I don't care really what people what they're going to think about if I laugh at something. I just think that's my response. I'm a very, how I react is how I react. I'm pretty comfortable with who I am. But so that comfort level is is amazing, in my opinion, because we are very creatures of our society. We do things because things, other people do things. Mm -hmm. We drive on the right side of the road because (laughs) other people do. Or we 
all like to be right-handed because that's right. And we do uh-huh. things and we snap and we do all these social norms. There's a lot of social norms in there. And saying that you do things because you do things is very counter to social norms. You're living to your own normativity. And like in a sciencey sciencey term, it's like you have your own gravity. Yeah. You choose not to be pulled in by society's gravity. You have your own base. Uh-huh. So keep, let's keep going back to this idea of how do you, how are you so okay with when you say a joke and nothing happens? How do you deal with that response? <laughs> when you say something and that's they just keep going, they just keep going. They don't even acknowledge it. They just you know. <laughs> this is that's an interesting uh, point you bring up. I think a lot of it it may devol- it may kind of stem from kind of a self centered selfish perspective. In that one of the biggest motifs that I like to look at in life. There are two major ones that I really enjoy thinking about. Balance and control. Both of those topics I think are super important. Control, the thing that I'm always obsessed with thinking about is that you, there's very little in life that you can actually control. And the very few things that you can control are the hardest things to control. Elaborate on things we can't control and elaborate on things that we can't control. Of course. I can't control what you're thinking about while we're interacting here. I can only control what I'm saying, how I'm emoting, what my tone of voice is. I can control those things, but I can't control what you're gonna interpret that as. Mm -hmm. And what I've always kind of thought, been obsessed about with that is letting go of things that you can't control. So because I can't control what you think, how you interpret my words, how I talk, I let that go and say, well, if, if they don't like that, then that's just the way it is. I try not to be that way because I am focusing on what I can control. I'm trying to control and not being a douchebag or an asshole mm-hmm. to you. I'm, a, I'm talking to you as a human being. Mm-hmm. I can control that by connecting with you. I think a lot of people put that bridge up or that gate up that prevents them from fully connecting with people. Elaborate can- on that gate. Elaborate on that a feel, I guess. Well, I mean, like kind of like how we alluded to with social media. Everyone puts on social media what they want to see. They filter it. Nobody see it's it's a. And I'm not saying anything original here. It's a false representation of real life. It's inauthentic. And we've yes. been talking about before. It's authenticity. Exactly. So you're saying that in order to be authentic, you have to have control. You have to be comfortable with not having control. Okay. That's how you become, I think, authentic. That's how I try to live my life mm-hmm. that's why like i'll laugh at something that i think is funny and if and i'm totally fine mm-hmm. and i don't take it personally i even if it's awkward i'll move past it mm-hmm. you know what i mean if i laugh at something nobody else in my little group laughs mm-hmm. i'm not i don't think like damn i'm like i'm an idiot like that mm-hmm. wasn't funny i think like i thought that was funny as shit <laughs> you know <laughs> like i'm sorry i'm the only idiot here i thought that was funny but i thought it was <laughs> I'm unapologetic about yeah. what I, the things about me, mm-hmm. and I just I put it out there, and I think that's how you make genuine connections too. Because the people who see it and they like it, you attract those people. That's my yeah. theory: is that if you make a joke, no one laughs. If someone over there laughs. You grab the person over here. Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like you're putting yourself out there, and hopefully, it's the whole give and take thing. Yeah. You're giving that in, and you're hoping that somebody can take something from that and mm-hmm. say, "Man, I, that dude's fucking humor is yeah. like what I think is funny." Mm-hmm. Like just th- something. It could be something just as simple as like a boner joke. Yeah. I'm not a fucking. It just depends on like the situation. It's mm-hmm. just. I think there's something cool about that. We've gone on a few tangents, but yeah, yeah control and then and balance. 
and balance are my two biggest things. So what is balance? What what do you find as balance? Balance is a lot of you can balance a lot of things, and there's a different opinions of what is a balance. It's just this like concept of like. You can look at I think anything in your life and be like, if it goes too far, it's mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. If it's not enough, you're in a bad territory too. These polarity, you know, that you experience in life, that there's good and there's bad. If you're too confident, you become cocky. If you're not confident enough, then you're a pushover, you're a doormat. Both of those are bad extremes. Mm-hmm. Finding that balance to be right there in the middle mm-hmm. where it's not too much that you're tiptoeing on the side of being an arrogant fuck mm-hmm. and not too little that you're getting walked on, mm-hmm. you know? I think it's just, you can look at anything in life and find that balance between two things that is the ideal. So I'm always just thinking of that in life, like are, being a friend, you know, are you being as good of a friend as you can? Trying to keep that balance between being there for somebody, mm-hmm. being available for, for somebody, and not being taken advantage of or being too yes. or being too in their life yes because you, you need separation you need both you need a balance of that exactly is that it's what i have with some relationships and people interaction is that we either very bad at keeping up with friends that we don't see every day or we earn too much of a friend's immediate friend's lives exactly like you don't have to spend every waking moment with pussy you love it's exactly. great too but it gets even better if you take some time away exactly it gets even sweeter in my opinion. It's like, let, let, let them fly a bit. When they come back, it's awesome. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, you can get oversaturated with mm-hmm. things. So definitely. Mm-hmm. Then the keeping that balance, the friendship thing is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Because I'm, I'm one of my circle of friends who kind of is a great distance apart. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody else is pretty much concentrated up north. And they're still all around each other. They can still interact with each other. And here I am on an island mm-hmm. down in Texas. You know, it's just trying to keep in touch, calling, but not being a nuisance. Not being like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, just being too much. Mm-hmm. Texting all the time, or sometimes it's just not necessary. And it's, but it's just it balance, just balance and control. Just I think go on both parts. The whole control thing is like, yeah, you can't. You can't control what other people think about you. Mm-hmm. And I just try to let that shit go. I Anything mean, that I can't control, I say, well, that's just how it is. I mean, the argument there is then you get, and I guess the balance fixes the issue, but letting people call you an asshole and then you change your actions because they think you're an asshole even though you're being authentic. Mm-hmm. Where is that limit there? Where do you draw that line there when, because if, if you choose not to let people change you, and there will be interactions. You just need to grow up as a person. Yes. In order to grow, what what do you think is necessary to grow? In my opinion, the biggest thing to grow is human interaction. Yes. So you have Definitely. to be open to their reactions and change some of your humor or change some of yourself. Maybe. And that decision point is so complicated. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. For me, I, I think about it in terms of if there's everybody has an unwritten tacit agreement with themselves that you're gonna try to look at things fairly mm-hmm. objectively so say i'm interacting with somebody and they call me an asshole mm-hmm. i have an agreement with myself that i can look at this situation and se- and assess whether i was being an asshole or not mm-hmm. were my actions were my behaviors 
consistent with being an asshole. Mm-hmm. If I, if I'm being honest with myself, and I really do pride myself on being honest with myself and knowing who I am, I can look at that situation and say, I didn't do anything to be warranted stamped with an asshole. I don't think I was behaving that way. Then I won't take it personally, mm-hmm. or I won't put much stock in it. But it's all based on that agreement with myself, that I'm gonna be honest with myself. And I have no problem admitting when, yeah, I was maybe being an asshole about something. So speaking of assholes, we'll get into this idea. <laughs> and this is the what I call the beauty page of life. Life dictates a lot of the times that we have to be assholes. Yeah. We have to wear a suit. We have to be inauthentic for this position because we have to dress up, do this, do that, post dates. You can't reveal your whole self. Mm-hmm. It's like interviews and yes. all that stuff. You have to present the best self, which is a lie. Right. Yep. yep. So how do we? How do you tackle with that? <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. How do you tackle that conundrum? Because that's a conundrum I face all the time. Where I know I can't be my full self at all times because strangers will say that guy's weird. Yeah. So you play a little bit of yourself. You put some of yourself out there. But isn't that being inauthentic? True. 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 So true. how do you satisfy that paradox there? <laughs> because I can't control the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. And the rules of the game, the rules of the system that's in place is you have to portray yourself a certain way so that people's impressions of you are favorable. Mm-hmm. It's just how, that's the game. And I can't control that that's the way the game is played. Mm-hmm. All I can control is whether I want to play the game or not. So if I want to get somewhere or get somewhere nice in life, then I have to ingratiate myself with people that I may not necessarily want to. And... Yes, you have to be somewhat inauthentic because you're not being who you would be in a vacuum. So that's how I make the agreement with myself as I say, well, I can't control that. That's the way it is. I can either go along with it or resist it. Because that's the biggest fear of my life is wearing too many masks, wearing too many players, <laughs> yeah. playing yourself in five different parts because that's what it requires. You require a persona in front of the person you love. You require a persona in front of your friends at work and in your family. Everyone has different rules. There's different rules for each section of your life. Sure. And I really don't like that personally because that makes me more inauthentic. Mm-hmm. At some point in time, I'd like to break some of the rules. So do you believe that we can break some of those rules down? Or is those rules set for life? I, I mean, I'm personally a pretty flexible person. Yeah, I mean, how... we're flexible, but it has to. the people around us sometimes are not. I think if you looked at it, the trend is that people are becoming more malleable with mm-hmm. what they think about stuff. I think that's what I would say. Maybe I'm being optimistic here, mm-hmm. but I would say we've made a transition to a point where we're definitely more flexible with what we consider in life than what they were maybe 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's something that I aspire to because I get the whole mass thing. Like you can probably look at friends that you have mm-hmm. and there are certain things that you can talk about with certain friends mm-hmm. and other things that you've never talked about with other friends. At least that's how it is with me. I have certain friends that I can talk to about relationships, dating, sex, adult shit, partying. You can talk to about different things, but then with other friends, that's not your comfort zone, right? And so, yeah, I would like to get to a point where like that could all come down and you can just, you don't have to be the party you don't have to put on the party or mask or yeah. the music festival mask. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I just like to go get fucked up and like go to parties and do I mean, all sorts of shit. That's how I live. Is I love music festivals. You and me like yeah. electronic music. I purposely don't wear rainbow shit. 
<laughs> I literally wear jeans, a t-shirt, or whatever. Yeah. I don't dress up, and I'm there to enjoy the music. And that's what it should be. Yeah, I shouldn't need to dress up for this. Yeah. I'll dress up how I dress up, no matter where I go. Exactly. That's why I'm going, you see this look here, but they can't see it. Yeah. Simple look at all times. There's no need to change your look, right? No. But the issue is that we had, in society, love looks. Uh-huh. We love that first impression. And that first impression changes how they first interact with you. Yeah. If you dress like a gangster, <laughs> yeah. they're going to say, what the hell, man? They're going to treat you scarier because people have impressions of people wearing baggy jeans. Mm-hmm. Baggy, je- baggy jeans are sketchy. Yeah. Well, tight jeans are sexy. Yeah. And it changes over time based on who and who. That's what we've defined yeah. in this modern day as what's attractive and what's mm-hmm. antiquated or whatever, what's outdated. So do you think you should change how you dress and stuff like that to keep up with that good impression look? I found out, this is an interesting thing, I found out that like, for the majority of my life, mm-hmm. I wasn't a very fashionable person. Mm-hmm. I had a very basic uh, wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Jeans and t-shirt, basketball shorts, yeah. tank tops, that's pretty much it. Only recently have I actually found, tried to like, get clothes that like, I feel like look good on me. Mm-hmm. And I've never been that way my entire life, so it's mm-hmm. kind of like this new thing thing that I'm experiencing. So what triggered that new thing? My girlfriend. Right. <laughs> Definitely my girlfriend. So, um, so why do you think she wants you to dress nice? I mean, I think everybody wants everybody to, like, especially when you're in a relationship, there are certain things that, like, you start dating a girl because you like her vibe. You like how she, she if she's beautiful, she's attractive, her style is a big thing. That's why you end up dating, mm-hmm. and that's why you end up falling in love, ultimately. Mm-hmm is these little things that you experience with each other. And I think that because you've experienced each other, then you start building expectations for each other. Even if it's subconscious, you do whenever you're in a, in a relationship. You start being like, oh, man, I, that's why I like you because you, you dress very like cute and you're very you know like classy and stuff like that or whatever, you dress sexy, whatever, fill in the blank. But you start seeing that in the other person and you get expectations from being with each other. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, she never forced me or anything like that, but she'd always just mildly suggest, like, mm-hmm. oh, I think you'd look good in joggers. Yeah. I didn't even know what the fuck joggers were. <laughs> I don't know even know what those are. It's these pants. They're just like, they're glorified sweatpants that are just more form-fitting. <laughs> but, like, they're the most comfy fucking things in the world. I had no idea about them. And she's like, yeah, I think you'd look good in those. I'm like, what are they? <laughs> <laughs> and she, you know, lo and behold, shows me like pictures of them. I'm like, okay, cool. I didn't know those existed, mm-hmm. but I'll give them a shot. And when I found out that like by dressing a certain way that makes you feel good, it's different mm-hmm. than just dressing in, you know, whatever lowest maintenance way that you do it. Well, it's just going back into controlling things that you can control. It goes back to that, right? Yeah goes back to the, yeah, you like that she smiled because you're dressing nicely. And uh-huh. also, it feels, it feels damn good. Yeah. It's both. It's both. You can see things from both angles. Mm-hmm. As long as you're doing it for yourself, the cherry on top is that she likes it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You see it has that positive response in mm-hmm. that. Like, if, you, if somebody's walking by in sweatpants mm-hmm. versus walking past in, like, a nice suit, you, get, you see different responses within people. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's the same way, especially when you're intimate with somebody. It's even more magnified, right? So if you can dress in a way that your partner thinks is like, "Wow, like they're hot," 
you feel hotter about yourself. Your esteem skyrockets. You just feel better about yourself. You get mm-hmm. that, I don't know, that hormonal influx or whatever. So that's the feel I have. And the feel it goes back to of why there's so many things in the world that drives that, oh, look at me. I need that praise. Yes. People feed off praise because praise is good. Yes. There's, there's, the praise is fantastic. It's like winning in a football game. And now you get the cheers, you get the screams, you get the shouts. Uh-huh. Oh, this picture you took at school, I dressed nice. Oh, I like get compliments. It's, praise is awesome, but it goes back to balance. Mm-hmm. It's like we are, in my opinion, we're looking for too much of it. Ah, uh, see? Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent point. And I would actually, I would agree with you. Yeah. And there are moments in my life where I catch myself doing it. I try to hold my... if Whenever I judge, just like anybody else judges, mm-hmm. but when I judge, I really try to keep it to a standard that I would hold to myself. Mm-hmm. So I try to be very lenient and flexible with like, okay, that's, that person is doing this. Like, I get it. Maybe mm-hmm. they like that. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't judge you for liking something that I don't like. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things like that. And then there's a lot of things with... Um, other stuff that I'll be a little bit more um, judgmental of. Mm-hmm. But I always try to keep it to a standard of, well, how would I put myself in their situation mm-hmm. if they were like thinking like that? But yeah, control is a big issue that it's it's in all of our lives mm-hmm. and it's trying to figure it out, man. What's I mean, the- we'll all figure it out. It makes perfect sense. And so why do you think people in general, in our generation, whether millennials, how we lost that idea of balance control. Everyone's scared all the time. Everyone is looking for praise all the time. Everyone's looking for comfort in others. They lost that idea of being comfortable with themselves. What was that divide and how do we think we can get back to it? Because you found it, obviously. It's tough, man. But this is idea of the thing is to figure out how to, because in my opinion, the issue is that not everyone can be funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people. The people that are happy with themselves usually make jokes. Uh, but that can't be the only way to yes. be happy with yourself. The jokes are used so that you can keep yourself in check. Just be humble, is what I call it. Mm-hmm. I like jokes a lot because I like jokes, make joke, joke about it myself, call myself an idiot just yes, like you. Yes. Because it puts me back down to zero. Yeah. It, it resets me, it resets my ego. Yes. But how do, how is that? Because not everyone can do that. So what are the steps? What was oh, like? You were so young, but I, I'm trying to dig on, dig, dig deep on. <laughs> Thanks, man. You're young when you found out that secret. Yeah. It took me a while. It took me when I was middle school to find that secret out. Uh huh. That be funny, be the class clown, boom. Yeah, just rock it to the moon. Just enjoy, yeah, and just enjoy those little laughs. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, I don't know. The first step is I. I really try not to take myself too seriously, man. Mm-hmm. I'm just a person like everybody else. So do you think that is a truth in life? Is that you must not take yourself seriously? I don't know. I think it would help a lot of people. I think it would help a lot of people not to take themselves so seriously. Not to def- not to get caught up in defining yourself in certain tribes, mm-hmm. like you say. I think that's a great way of putting it. Mm-hmm. If you're a lawyer, you're a part of the lawyer tribe. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're not like hurting for money. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You're probably driving nice cars. Mm-hmm. You're a part of that group. But that, that, does that give you the right to look down on the janitor tribe? It's, it's stuff like that where 
I try not to take myself too seriously. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, whenever I say I'm a graduate student, they're like, oh my God, you're fucking probably a genius. Mm -hmm. I try not to take that too seriously because I know what it really is. And, and my joke all it's the time is I flip it around and say, you're a genius too. Tell me about yourself. Yeah. It's boom. It's a, first, it's, it's a wonderful first drink question. Exactly. <laughs> because there, there, there's so much stuff that other people know more about than, mm -hmm. that I know nothing about. You could probably talk, just educate me on everything technology because I don't really understand technology too well. It's, I'm blown away by it, mm -hmm. but I haven't like thoroughly researched a lot of it. I just enjoy the benefits of them. Mm -hmm. Smartphones. So how did you, so how did you manage to put everyone else on a pedestal besides yourself? What was that light bulb moment? You look up to everybody but yourself, which is the, the trait of, a, of, of comedians. That's how we get depressed. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's how they get depressed so easily, is that they bitch and moan about their life, make other people laugh. They, they, they put their life selves down to make other people feel better about themselves. That's very true. But how... How did you get that mentality? Because yes, it's childhood, but you still have this hopeful thing about people. That's a lot of things that, as an engineer and as a person with degree, I have a lot of friends who get snooty about it, and they get trapped in these things like, "Oh, I have a degree, so I'm better than you." Yeah, I hate that mentality so much. And I, you and you got that mentality too. So that how did you? What was that moment that? I don't know, man. I think it's just I, it's probably experience, mm -hmm. experience, experiencing people who are those stereotypes mm -hmm. where they like they have a certain background and knowledge and they think they are above you because they have access to that mm -hmm. and you experience interacting with those people and you're like that guy was a fucking idiot mm -hmm. that guy was a jerk and then I, just experiencing that and being like I never want to be that that's kind of how my life is molded I've seen and interacted with people like that and I'm like who the fuck would ever want to be around this person? Mm -hmm. I don't want to be that person. Mm -hmm. So it's experiencing it and being like, I don't want to be that. I want to be the opposite, the antithesis of mm -hmm. that. I want to be a person who goes in to meeting somebody, whether it be at the bar, at a gas station, in the research lab, you want to approach it like, this person. this person's somebody that I don't know, I want to get to know them. I want to know the true authentic version of who they are. You look for the best in people. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I have nothing to gain by going the opposite way. I have everything to lose. So I guess in a way I've been calculated about it. Or not talking about it. There's a, some type of calculation that goes mm -hmm. in my mind there from a pragmatic point of view. What do I have to gain by talking to people and assuming that they have nothing to tell me or I know more than they do on shit? Mm -hmm. I stand nothing to gain. So how do you combat the inverse fear? Because the fear is that Go up, go up to someone sketchy. The fear is that they will mug me or they will do something. That's the fear you get. Is that when you talk to someone lower than you, I'm wasting my time. He's a janitor. I have nothing to explain, so why should I spend my time doing this? How do you combat that logic? Because that logic, you can make that case too. It's a, that's a good point. <laughs> like, so I, I approach it that you can't control the situations you get into in life, a lot of them. So say I go to a gas station and I'm like looking for something and the cash register goes crazy and I look to the person behind me and we start like bullshitting. I think I like, I give people almost like a window, a window for them to like in that first few minutes of talking to each other that you can see within each other and figure out, oh shit, okay, this guy's a girlfriend too. I went to Starbucks the one time just recently and I got my girlfriend a drink and Starbucks, the orders are so fucking complex and yeah. I'm always afraid I'm gonna fuck it up. So I got to the, the dude who was taking my order mm -hmm. and I listed off all the fucking ingredients, you know, soy milk, java chip, mm -hmm. frappuccino or whatever the fuck it is. 
And I listed off all the things, and I'm like, geez, I hope I got that right. Like, and he's like, he's like, it sounds right. And I'm like, yeah, I'm getting it for my girlfriend, so I don't, I don't want to fuck anything up and forget anything. And instantly, this dude and I connected because he also had a girlfriend, and he understood. Like, you don't want to, like, fuck up the order. Like, and that was a small window. That was within, like, two minutes of mm-hmm. just talking with each other. But I took pleasure from that small interaction because it's like, I don't know this guy, mm-hmm. but I know he's experiencing certain things that I'm also mm-hmm. experiencing. So I'm going to throw you at something that I've been trying to work at and trying to mold into something worthwhile is that how would we rewrite conversations so we get a connection? Because I Like, I, I want to rewrite how we talk to people so that you get that perfect window every single time. Because the bullshit question people ask all the time is, how are you doing? That does nothing. We yeah. have killed that meaning of the word so much that the correct answer is either good or nothing much. Those are the correct answers at the social norm. So how are you doing? How's the weather? All that stuff is BS. So how do you jump to that moment to figure out if they're worth talking to? What question would you ask? I have an idea, but what's your question? Okay, I want to hear your idea after no. I give mine. Okay so, okay, so my idea was always, are you happy? Uh-huh. And they say yes or no. And I ask them next is, why are you happy? Or okay. why are you not happy? And you get deep into them and you get to an interesting point about them. I, I think that's a good strategy. And like, for example, like when I was in uh, New Orleans, we, I was in an Uber driver. I asked her this BS question. I was like, are you happy? Uh-huh. And she was like, yes. I was like, why? Well, because I'm making money for my son. She talked about her son oh. and how she's trying to make some money so that he can buy books and all that stuff. It was a great conversation. Think about that. The transitions it took to get to that moment yeah. where you can now learn something about, about them and just see their passion and to see that they're driving an Uber in a rain and they're talking and they're doing this stuff for a purpose. For a purpose. It's, it's connection. It's, it's authentic connection. Yes. So that's my question. That's how I get to, if I want to have authentic conversations, that's my go-to line. What's your answer to it? I like your strategy to it. The way I've dealt with it is it goes back to the premise that I really enjoyed from your first, the first podcast, and that is give and take. In any, I think in any conversation, there is a balance with how much you have to put in and how much output you get out from somebody else. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to do this dance when you're first talking with somebody and knowing what is the appropriate amount that you need to put into the conversation you know, to stoke the fire, per se, to get, you know, the flames really going with the, with the conversation. So with me in particular, I kind of go about it, I typically ask people, just random people, people who are like bagging my groceries or like at a gas station or whatever, I just ask, how's life? Mm-hmm. Very general. And based on their reaction, kind of like what you do with the happy thing, I go, I kind of ad-lib from there. Mm-hmm. If I'm talking with somebody, I find that most people are very hesitant to want to just jump into the conversation. And that's what I want to get to. I want to get to that point in the fewest amount of steps possible. I want to be efficient about it. But I also understand that how conversations develop organically, there's something that's kind of cool about that as mm-hmm. well. That you don't always have to start deep, but you can end up in deep places. There's, mm-hmm. there's kind of a cool journey that goes along with conversations like that. With getting to with being authentic with people, I find that if I give into the conversation mm-hmm. and reveal authentic things about myself, that that sends a good message to the other people that like I don't take myself too seriously. Mm-hmm. 
like I'm just being honest here, putting myself out there. Mm -hmm. I think most people will recognize that in a conversation. And I think on majority they'll reciprocate. That will somehow, some way trigger something within them that gets them to kind of pull out pieces of themselves mm -hmm. and throw them on the table and be like, oh, okay, you're doing that. You just told me about. Because you share something that is fact, like when you were at Starbucks, I told yeah. you that you said like, oh, I'm getting this with my girlfriend. Yeah, and I don't want to mess it up. Yeah, because you could have said nothing about it. You could have just said it and it would have been fine. It would have, they would have been fine, but yep. you wouldn't have done anything. You wouldn't have met somebody. You wouldn't have learned something cool. Yeah. That people have girlfriends and people experience the same pain. Yeah, that I threw out this mild anxiety. Yeah. That like, hey man, I hope I don't fuck this yeah. order up because there will be repercussions from this. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that he could empathize with those mm -hmm. and pick up and be like, dude, I totally get how you feel. I and he calmed you down, but he also felt, because it's, it's give and take, goes back to it. He, yes. You got comfort from him and he got comfort from you. Saying that you both have girlfriends with really specific, yeah, she doesn't need a toy milk. Trust me, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a Kodak bromant, yeah, for sure, for sure. So that's how I've kind of found that I've gotten really good conversations with people, really insightful, meaningful conversations, is by giving mm -hmm. at the beginning and putting yourself out there. Yeah. And if they don't, if if they take it and they run and mm -hmm. they don't really give back. So be it. You can't control that. Mm -hmm. But you can control... I could throw in a story here that maybe lightens the mood a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. makes people laugh. It all it does kind of stem back from how I learned to make people laugh at a young age mm -hmm. in a classroom. Mm -hmm. Sometimes being the butt of the joke, but as long as I got people to laugh, I didn't really care at a young age. Mm -hmm. But now how you can do that and connect with people, use those things that you kind of were subconsciously doing as a five-year-old and taking those in figuring out how to re-engineer those mm -hmm. into current situations, social interactions. Let's go back to that butt of the joke. I like that idea a lot. <laughs> my jokes are usually about my butt of, butt of the jokes. I usually put myself in the butt of the jokes. I yeah. usually, usually do something stupid or mess with somebody in a point where like I am the, I'm not the focus of it, but my focus mm -hmm. is so that I can let people know that this is gonna be a fun time. To let them know that this once again, nothing serious. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I don't think I'm better than you or something yeah. like that. And I that just... opens up conversations because if you come from a place of, oh, I'm an idiot, can you talk anything? I won't, I, I won't understand it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to be open and honest with me, yeah. I will always respect that. Mm -hmm. And I will never take that for granted. Mm -hmm. I'll never abuse that, you know, you being honest with me. Yeah. It's figuring... So how do you get that fear? So the, the to overcome that fear, you have to overcome the fear of putting yourself out there. Mm-hmm. There's kind of there's two layers of fear there. There's a fear of putting yourself out there. There's a fear of someone taking advantage of what you put out there. Uh -huh. That happens all the time in anything. Is that you're afraid that when you go to interview, they'll mock you, criticize you. Is that's why it's so hard to be honest and all that stuff. The criticism is the huge one of the huge barriers. Uh -huh. Also, a huge barrier is having someone's attention. You and me are okay with people's attention. And how did how are you okay with that? What's your mentality when you stand in front of people and get their attention? People listen. That's why they laugh. Man, I don't know. That attention-seekingness is not everyone does that. I know that. I have a lot of shy friends. Like I guarantee uh -huh. you, your girlfriend or people I know, I can put them in front of a microphone and they'll just freeze. Yes, yes. And I can exactly. and give you all the bullshit in yourself. Just imagine them all in underwear. Just imagine them that I listen to you. <laughs> but that's not right, though. That's not the right advice. Uh -huh. That's a stereotypical bullshit advice. So how do you tell help people conquer their fear of being important? <laughs> 
that's that it's difficult mm. because yeah you ha- part of it is you have to empathize with that people aren't going to have mm. certain things that y- are advantages for yourself mm-hmm. i i think i've kind of been an adrenaline junkie my entire life mm-hmm. i like thrill mm-hmm. i've always loved it and there is no thrill like being the center of attention mm-hmm. for if if i'm being honest about it mm-hmm. there is this sort of like magnetic attraction mm-hmm. with at least me personally mm-hmm. to yeah having the eyes on you mm-hmm. and you're either making people laugh mm-hmm. or you're educating them you're mm-hmm. talking about a lecture or something mm-hmm. i like that i like having the spotlight on me and mm-hmm. having the attention it's just it, it it is a kind of an adrenaline rush and i swing and sway between like and not i'm okay with it what what I like more, my biggest love of recently is getting people to want it more than I do. Ah, that's my biggest love is to push someone out there, but they're ready. Don't push them out there if they can't be ready to swim yet. I like to teach them to swim, and the moment they're ready to swim, push them out there. Yeah, it's amazing to see that because I'm a narcissist because I'm only child. I think that builds into the fact <laughs> that I like attention. Is yeah. that I got attention my whole life, and I can, I still feed off of it. Yeah, I'm trying to learn not to do that, so I'm trying to back off, and that's why. Let other people talk more than I do. But you're ahead of the curve because I think you at least recognize that. You're self-aware to the fact that you're, there are certain things in your upbringing mm-hmm. that you have to be aware of. So where did you get your adrenaline rush from? Where does that adrenaline jerkiness come from? Where do you think that stems from? It's just, I've, it's, if, as, <laughs> as a nerdy-ass scientist, it's all, I think, hormonal. Or it's, yeah. it's a lot of the fact that whenever... Um, you do something and you get that flood of endorphins you you get those pleasure chemicals released in you mm. you want to keep doing it you want to you get you know you don't get addicted to it mm. but there is this positive cause and effect of it that mm. the, the second that I made everybody laugh in class mm-hmm. some chemical cascade of triggers mm-hmm. flowed within me to get me to the point being like wow this is fucking awesome mm. I really enjoy this this is pleasurable but you and still then, haven't answered the question of, I mean, you identified that you like adrenaline. I liked it, yes. So, But it just, it naturally found me. I just, naturally just from experiencing and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And just being like, hey, I like that. Mm-hmm. And I you like accepted your You accepted that. Yes, and wanting to push it. Mm-hmm. Keep pushing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm personally afraid of heights. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think if I'm being more specific, I'm more afraid of falling. Mm-hmm not so much at heights. Yeah. So I did skydiving. I pushed myself to do skydiving. That's a huge adrenaline rush mm-hmm. just because I wanted to do it mm-hmm. because the chemicals that are released whenever you're doing that activity it just makes you feel alive. It mm-hmm. does. It's a, it's a cliche, but it's true. Mm-hmm. So I just found from a very young age that, that doing that shit mm-hmm. made me feel good. So it was just a simple fact because I blame my narcissism on my childhood. Mm-hmm. You blame your your narcissism on your adrenaline rush, your love of chemicals, your love of yeah, just that makes, feeling. Yeah, I, I would distill it down to it makes me feel good. Yeah. That's why I like doing it. So maybe we can't answer that, but do you think then it's a simple matter of figuring it out, showing them that it does feel good? Do you think everyone can feel good from being the attention? That's the tricky part because everyone, I, I am... I definitely understand that everyone is 
different mm-hmm. and that your version of happy and my version of happy can be two completely different things mm-hmm. and that does not make either one of them more untrue than the other yeah so i i always try to empathize with that mm-hmm. that you may you may not get or my girlfriend would not get the same pleasure mm-hmm. out of standing in front of a microphone and talking to a crowded audience mm-hmm. that i would and try to get convince her of that sometimes you have to understand that maybe that isn't the person mm-hmm. maybe they would they'll never be able to fully enjoy happy or derive happiness from something like that so do you so because i believe it's a fundamental truth that in order to be happy you have to put yourself out there uh-huh that is i think a fundamental truth of life is that by putting yourself out there you are saying that i'm ready to be attacked and ready to be loved yes i'm ready to be critiqued i'm ready to change Mm-hmm. So that's fundamentally what you have to do at some point in time. You have to put yourself on a microphone. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a fundamental truth? Is that you have to be willing to be critiqued by somebody, or or to be loved by somebody? You have to be ready to let yourself be poked at and hugged. Yeah, I think that is for me. Mm-hmm. That is what gives me the ultimate happiness. Yeah. Is that people know who I really am. Mm-hmm. That is, it's. You, we can really delve into this and get into some deep existential mm-hmm. you know shit about why that is mm-hmm. but the fact that like people can I can be honest with myself and say yeah I think people mm-hmm. if you've interacted with me you've gotten the real me mm-hmm. yeah like I can put on the nerdy mask I can put on the you know distinguished not gonna swear curse mask but that's not really who I am but in those interactions, you can still be yourself, mm-hmm. even though you're censoring certain aspects. Mm-hmm. So that's how I derive a lot of my happiness from, is being comfortable with who I am mm-hmm. and putting that out there on display mm-hmm. for people who you talk to. So you, you, you got back to it. I'm going to ask it simple, simple. Do you think in order to be happy, you have to be comfortable with yourself? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, it's 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 in my mind, it's not even arguable. Mm-hmm. It's unequivocal that if you are going to be happy with yourself, mm-hmm. yes, you have to respect yourself first yeah. over anything else in life. Mm-hmm. You have to be honest with yourself, and you have to. It's it I it's very sim it's a simplistic way of looking at it. But if you don't like yourself, how the fuck is anybody else going to like you? So you have to like yourself, and like yourself, what does that entail? In your mind, being with me, I, I like I said, I try not to take myself too seriously. Oh, yeah. I understand I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. I understand that there's a lot of things in my life that I have as flaws. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you do with those flaws? Do you accept them? Do you change them? What like? <laughs> how do you come to terms that you're imperfect? Just knowing that everybody is that mm-hmm. that's a that's definitely a huge solace mm-hmm. is knowing that that's a universal. Yeah. Stipulation. So, if we tell everyone that, do you think we can get shy people to be extroverts? Maybe, maybe it's a step in the right direction. I think because then this is the bigger question I have always asked: is that can introverted people be happy? Because introversion kind of comes from the fact that they need time alone. They need they 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 don't need people at all times. In my opinion, you need people at all times. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not every hour of the day, but you need people in general yes. to be better. 
and introverts have the fear of critique, that the fear of being out there, put out there, that means that they have a fear of themselves mm-hmm. at the end of the day. In, 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 this, in, the, in this argument I'm making, and I don't believe that fully, but let's say that. Mm-hmm. Do you think introverts can be happy? They can be, I think, overall, mm-hmm. holistically happy. Happiness, if it's predicated on social interaction, yeah. maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. not. But that's, I think introverts can be happy. I think you see a lot of people who um, find passions, mm-hmm. find hobbies that they mm-hmm. keep themselves entertained with, mm-hmm. and they can derive happiness from that. Mm-hmm. I totally get that. You can get happiness from playing music, playing sports. But hiking, but all of those things, things you're putting yourself out there. When you play a sport, you're now performing in front of an audience. Uh-huh. When you're hiking, you're now putting yourself out there saying, I could die on the trail. I could do the 127 hours James Franco. Yes, you could. So it's all about courage. You, you could. have courage to do something. When you play music, at some point in time, you want to put that music out there for people to listen to. Mm-hmm. And that's how you, you sense it's putting yourself out there. Yeah. And the biggest thing with introverts, I, I, I blanket them, I love introverts, but using them as the thing because we're both not introverts, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm trying to see how we can talk to introverts, how to see if that is it is the right answer to talk to introverts to say that they should put themselves out there? No, I wouldn't say that because I don't hold them. I'm not going to hold anybody and judge anybody for that standard. Yeah. What I'll say is, um, like, I had, a, I had a really good conversation um, one time with a friend of mine who was saying that he defined introverts as people when they interact with somebody their energy comes down yeah so, it, it it's they looked at it energetically or thermodynamically yeah so and why does the energy come down because it takes what's because causing it, them because it takes so much for them they have to input so much that they're getting very little out so so that's the key that in my opinion it goes into the idea of saying they don't see what they get out of it yes but they get a lot out of it and they struggle they they struggle with coming up with giving into yeah. the into the social dynamic, mm-hmm. they have a problem with inputting. Mm-hmm. That is strenuous for them. It's a high activation energy. But so then, with is extroverts, that a, is that like catalyst that we need to give them the chemistry? Is like can we make them train them and yes? Is it do you think we can train them to actually like social interactions and boom? Now now extroverts. Do you think we can train introverts? Do you think every introvert can be an extrovert? Because every extrovert can be an introvert. I think yes. I think you, if you if the conditions are right, yeah. you can get int- people who are naturally introverted mm-hmm. to get, break out of their shell yeah. with the right catalyst, mm-hmm. with the right person who you can talk to, mm-hmm. and they can be open, they can be non-judgmental, mm-hmm. and through interaction with pairing that introvert up with this person, yeah. they can teach the introvert certain things to get out of their shell. Because then the ideology is that it's just, are there just no introverts? It's just a matter of, would you suck at conversations? <laughs> yeah. So technically speaking, in my mind, what you just told me is that it just takes the right catalyst. Yeah. And if we just had a catalyst at all times, there's no introverts. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I have a few friends who are like that. And they, they say that it, they just struggle with knowing what to say in certain yeah. instances. So just practice. Yeah, that's kind of how I go about that's it. That's how I see it. And... And it's just took me practice too, because when I was a kid, I started like a mo- like a mo- mofo. Uh-huh. I started my butt off. I was very shy because I couldn't outdribble my words. I would mm-hmm. speak too fast. My brain was too hyperactive, and my mouth couldn't keep up. Yeah, I still have the issue sometimes now, but it's better. <laughs> me too. But it's, it's, you see, it's just practice. So yeah. it's just an introverted. Is just someone who needs more practice. 
Yeah, if they choose to. Yeah. It's all up to them. Because in my opinion, everyone starts an introvert. If you want to make that, you know, contract with yourself that, you know what, I'm an introvert, I feel like I could be happier in life mm-hmm. if I kind of got out of my shell and I started yeah. interacting more socially with people mm-hmm. and trying to fine-tune having a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. or connecting with somebody. Mm-hmm. If they are basing their happiness off that, then yes, I think that it's possible for them definitely to get out of their shell. Mm-hmm. It's happened to all of us, I think, at some point in our lives. Yeah. You've had that transition. Yeah, you have the shell-breaking... Not all of us, some of us. Mm-hmm. Some of us, you and me, have that shell-breaking moment where we broke out of the shell and stopped being introverts. Uh-huh. You were the fastest one I could hold. I never heard someone being five-year-old and boom, they got it. They nailed it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just because... And it's funny that we, we through our conversation, I and I never thought about this before, yeah. that it was kind of based off the fact that I looked different. I was I was looking for a way to connect mm-hmm. to everyone else. And it, that's exactly. So it yeah. wasn't no longer. It was no longer. Oh, you look different than us. Yeah. It was all like, oh my god, Mike's hilarious. Yeah. Or Mike's fucking. You, you see what he did with the teacher? Today? Yeah. Like that's. I noticed that instantly. And that's what I call what I call Charles the Five. Yeah. Is that you need to be different. You need to go somewhere different. You you have to pretend to be different to to be to be better. Mm-hmm. You have to meet with different people. You have to meet differences so you can see and grow. You were lucky that you were the most different person. So thereby, you had to either man it up or be the weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> and at some point in time, you would have to face that adventure. That's a good point. You had a choice there. You had a choice to fly or, or drop like a rock. And, and you decided to fly. Yeah. And it's, 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 it sounds like I'm, I'm gratifying it, but it is. Is that every, it's just my theory, is that introverts haven't had the moment when, or they missed the opportunities mm-hmm. where they could fly. Yeah. Or they never had the, the opportunity to be the different one. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the opportunity to be the minority. They didn't have the opportunity to be the weird kid. Yeah. Because as the weird kid or as the stranger, as the kid who moved, like I moved from one state to another state. Uh-huh. So I was, you know, separated from my friends at a young age and boom, I had to Make adapt. It's so simple because it goes back to this idea of tribalism. Mm-hmm. It's so easy just to hang out with people that are like you. And you never have to challenge yourself. Never. Because they just all yes men and yes women. Mm-hmm. You all like the same things. You all look the same. You all interact just fine. It's not the, it's, I would argue it's just not the best way to grow. It's not the best way to grow at all. And growth, yeah, you have to expose yourself to different things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, part of that as an extrovert is, yeah, knowing that it, it goes back to why I like talking to just random people mm-hmm. and kind of putting them on a pedestal mm-hmm. when I meet them that like, hey, you are probably in a different industry than I'm in and I want to kind of know. It's it's cool finding what people are passionate about mm-hmm. and listening to them talk about it and learning from them. Mm-hmm. It's just like, we're talking about introverts and extroverts. Very, I could know more about cars if I wanted to, mm-hmm. to be more efficient with like fixing a car, changing the oil, blah, 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 blah. I just have to practice it. Same thing with if you're an introvert, you have the potential to like be more social. You just have to be willing to put in the time and practice. Because even then, I, I don't want to shit on introverts too much. But that no, extrovert, no, no. we have to learn to be quiet with ourselves too. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing that I had to learn recently is that I have to be okay with not talking to someone for a whole day. That's it took me a long time to learn uh. to do that <laughs> recently because I kind of broke myself again recently. But Oh yeah? Yeah, it's that I it's I struggle now to be by myself. Uh 
I struggle in the sense that I need the hobbies, I need the things, I need to be... Pers- it's not that being by myself, it's the idea of doing nothing. Yes. I struggle with it, and I think I should struggle with it. Because uh-huh. in my personal opinion, doing nothing is the worst thing you can do. Yeah. In my opinion, you should be never doing nothing, and I would kill sleep if I ha- if I could. <laughs> if I could, like, sacrifice, like, my arm and a leg to never sleep again, I would do it. <laughs> All right. All right. Because there's so much to do. Yeah. I'm just like, too hyperactive. Like, yeah, you could be doing, you could be devoting that time to something else. Yeah. Learning how to change oil, or learning how to paint more, how to learn to write better, or edit this podcast. I could yep. do so much <laughs> Yeah, that I have issue with doing nothing. I'm not sure if I should have an issue with doing nothing. What do you think? And that's, that's an energy level thing yeah. that everybody, every person has a different, you know, where they're at on a wavelength of certain, yeah. like, energy. What's the maximum potential energy? It's like falling rock. Is that everyone has a capacity <laughs> of energy per day. Yes. And I think you can grow it. In my opinion, you can grow it and grow it and grow it and grow it. And never be satiated. That's what passion is. Passion yeah. is straight up having a drive and having so much energy that you are now fighting against time. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to live. Uh-huh. I'm not sure yet because I'll be living this kind of mindset for about two months. <laughs> but what do you think about that? Do you think, what do you, what do you call burnout? This is what, do you believe in burnout? Or do you think that's just the oh. people burn out because they lost their passion? Or do you think you can actually physically burn out? I think you can. I think you can burn yourself out. Similar to as you can redline an engine and blow up the engine yeah. by keeping it, you know, keeping it rev too high. I think you can do that in life. But if you can maintain it, for sure. But so then let's go back to balance. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I can balance my energy out and just always do stuff, but always, let's say, balance out with low low energy things, but still do something. Yeah. Like, like I think I do a lot is I watch a lot of TV shows and movies that I think have something to say. Uh-huh. So I stopped watching Entourage. I stopped watching House. I stopped yeah. watching all these shows that are frivolous. Uh-huh. And focused my time on watching. If I watch a TV show, I watch something that has something to say. Uh-huh. So that's my wind down moment. So that's, that is my maintenance mode. Yep. Is to consume something and to consume a little bit. It's to give and take. Yep. I give a lot of myself out there. But I also take some stuff by watching stuff and listening to people. But Yeah, you close those other windows. Mm-hmm. Those other running those, windows. Those distractions. Yep. I think, yeah, I think that's um, something that I, it takes, everyone's, everything, everyone struggles with that in terms of how they, how they devote their time and what things they can focus on and what things they have to balance out, what things they can get away with, with, yeah, you can watch TV shows, but you had to make decisions to be like, ah, can't watch any more of these shows. They're just, they just don't interest me. I don't want to devote my time. To watching them mm-hmm. when I could be working on something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, every, but everybody's energy level is different. Some people want to do nothing. Mm-hmm. That is their comfort zone. Yeah, that is their happiness. So, what do you think about that? I I have I te- I, teach their own man. I have issue with that a lot. Teach their own. I have. I don't judge them, but I just have an issue with choosing to not go after something. Mm. If your goal by doing nothing is just I want to do nothing, that's weird. If I want to say you're doing nothing so I can be chosen to do something else next, yeah, that makes sense. If I want to take a nap in the afternoon so I can rage hard at night, <laughs> makes sense. Okay, okay, that makes sense to me because you're saying that I only have 16 hours operating in a day. Yeah, I, I need sleep now so I can operate later at night. Makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. But saying I just want to sleep because I enjoy sleeping, let's hold on, oh, <laughs> hold on okay. there. Okay. You sleep to do what with it? Yeah. It's a means to an end. 
Mm-hmm. Napping is a means to it. If you say I enjoy napping, napping's my fucking dream. Calm down. Let's talk about that. It's I'm I'm okay with the idea of napping. I'm I'm just not okay with why you're napping. It's the why of doing things that is I have I take a lot of contention with. Yeah, I don't know. I just I I really I am a whatever floats your boat type of person. Yeah. If that's gonna if you're working your ass off yeah. from like working twelve hour shifts yeah. like six days a week, five days a week. Yeah. Then whatever. I think if you if But that's you, a reason to nap. You see, because oh, you because you okay. worked hard and you need to recharge your batteries because you worked a lot of hours that week. Yeah. So you have a reason. I'm napping because I'm fucking tired. Yeah. Okay. So that's a reason. That is a means to end saying I'm recharging my batteries. Mm-hmm. Saying that, oh, I've recharged my batteries already, I'm I am i am going to sleep more. Okay. You know, it's like it's 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 excess. It's it's, it's it, there's imbalance there. Yeah, it goes back to imbalance. Is that when you do too much or too little, I have, I I have issues with it. Uh-huh. I do too much. You can argue the fact that I might be burning my engine right now, but I'm trying to lean to, to lean off. But and that's where it comes back to you have trust in yourself yeah. and knowing when. Your little detectors or yeah. sensors inside your own brain, mm-hmm. you have faith that they will get tripped and you'll realize, okay, I think I'm doing too much now. Yeah. You have that internal monologue mm-hmm. where you can check and be like, well, hey, I think I'm spreading myself too thin. I'm doing too many things. Yeah. I need to take it easy and decompress for a little while. And based on what I see in life, I, it's other way around. People are not doing enough based yeah. on my view of them, based on what they choose to show to me on Facebook or Snapchat. Yes. Not doing much. <laughs> there's definitely wisdom in a timeout every once in a while. Yeah, but there's not wisdom in saying that I can't bless that you want to watch Netflix every night. I can't yeah. bless that. I cannot bless that. You, I can't do you to you. You to you saying I want to watch Netflix I, I'm not, even though I work 40 hours a week. Hold your horses. <laughs> yeah. You can work 40 hours a week and then do other stuff too. If you work 60 hours a week and you want to watch Netflix every night, makes sense. Okay. See, where I draw the yeah. line is I just say... I wouldn't be happy doing that. Yeah, that's that's and that and I won't cross that line. Yeah. I'll just be like, well, I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't feel fulfilled if I was just watching Netflix yeah. every night. Granted, I love me some fucking Netflix. I, I love it. Yeah, love me some Netflix. Love me some Hulu. Yeah, love me some HBO Go. But yeah, if you're if that's your routine, mm-hmm. all I say is I would not be happy mm-hmm. doing that, and I'm not gonna go any further than that mm-hmm. and be like whatever. See, for me, that's where I like to talk to people. Then is that I want to figure out. Because they're the I'm um, the antithesis of that. Yeah. So I like to go in deeper, saying, "Why do you watch so much stuff? What do you hope to gain out of it? What are you after? What are you hoping to do with your Netflix time? Like, what are you? Yeah. What drives you? Yeah. Why do you have a passion about sitting on the couch? For me, I get yeah. that fear of like, when I'm 60 years old, am I gonna look back yeah. and be like, man, my mid 20s, they were a good time. Yeah. And then thinking about it, it's like, what did you do? You just fucking watched Netflix your yeah. entire mid twenties. Yeah. Like, and then before you know it, you blinked, and through four seasons of House of Cards, you're yeah. thirty years old now. Yeah. And so that's the like, thing is that like I would I, I would tell that to the post and ask them, how do you how do you come to come come to terms with that? Come yeah. To terms with that. That's that's why I can't. Me personally, I wouldn't be happy. In yeah. That and, life. I, and I would talk with them about that. Yeah. That's why I think I would take one step further and present all those arguments and say, what's your argument? That, that is guess mine. Yeah. Do you think that's line too far? How I would approach it would be I'd probably just invite them to do things. Yeah. And put it put the ball in their court. Yeah. Be like, hey man, we're gonna go to this festival. We're gonna go to this. Uh, we're just gonna go downtown, get yeah. a few drinks, just relax. We're not gonna get shitty. You know, we'll just chill. So just bullshit. You should come with. I will put those 
Windows, offers. you put the doors open. You yes. put the windows open for them to get them the choice. Yes. I agree with you completely. And that's what I would do. It's, yeah. And I wouldn't be like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah, the phrasing. Unless it was a good friend. There's are, there are stipulations. If it was a good friend of mine, yeah. and I know that he's like a fun-loving, yeah. energetic, mm. you know, exploratory, you know, mm. guy. He likes getting out there and adventuring. And I saw him slip into a Netflix, like, coma where he's just, like, not going out and stuff. I would be like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, you're so-and-so. Like, I, I party with you. You're not like this. Come mm-hmm. on, like... Uh, you want to go out? You want to do something? Mm-hmm. I would say something in that instance. But if it was just like somebody and they are just telling me about, yeah, I don't really do anything. I just watch Netflix all the time. I'd be like, oh, dude, you should like come out with like yeah. me and my friends next time, or we're gonna go to the pool. So how many times days. would you do it? That's my thing. It's I have yeah. a I have a threshold of saying I'll invite you like a couple times, and if you don't respond, I'm done. Like like I I will stop inviting you things. Yes. I don't know. Like how much, how much rope do you leave them for them to hang themselves with Netflix? Uh, I don't know. I I guess uh, just because a uh, tradition, probably three strikes. Three strikes. Yeah, three, three is strikes. a weird number. I I, I I do the same thing. Three. Three. Yeah. It's something about it. I don't know what it is. It's mm-hmm. like the fool me once, shame on me. Fool, fool me, me twice. twice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hopefully we're back. Yep. My- so this is exactly where we left off. How to get people out of this shell? a good jumping out point since we were around there is when to give up on somebody or when to not give up how do you keep going after it and like a stranger who needs help it's hard to care about them but you know that they're struggling we go out your way to help them you know beat beat the odds I friends easy but what happens if you have a friend that does not want to be let out that you were good you're great and then they decided to go Netflix coma and no matter how old you try, three strikes, they five strikes, whatever. What number you want to use? Yeah, it gets squeaky. It it all it yeah. definitely depends on the degree of the friendship. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if these are if this is your boy, this is your like friend from third grade, and you've been friends through your entire life, you've you've been through shit together, then obviously I would never throw a friendship like that away, mm-hmm. even if they went into a Netflix coma for a fucking year mm-hmm. and I didn't hear from them. So do you just a wait? Best, a best friend is a best friend. I would, yeah, I would wait. I would just, I, I kind of give people space. That may be one of my things that maybe is off balance is that I sometimes fall out of touch with people because I give people too much space because I don't want to be, I always have this weird little. I, I have the same feeling where you insecurity of you know, being a bother. Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to be that person yeah. who's like another friend is living their life and you, they get a text like, hey man, like. What's up? I feel like, yeah, sometimes you're a burden. So you're, for, you for me, I'm trying to struggle with that. So that's why I did my whole sabbatical friendship lately, was that I'm going to test all my friends. I that's trust true. y'all, because it's a trust issue. I trust y'all. If you're busy, mm-hmm. I will take it offensively. Yeah. When, when I was here last time, you were busy? Well, you're busy. Uh-huh. I'll come back later. It's a two-hour drive. It's not going to drive me insane. I'm not going to spread over it. I'm going to say, oh, he must be lying. No, I trust you to tell me the truth. If you decide to lie to me, it's your loss, not mine. Exactly. And you can't mm-hmm. control that. No, that's 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 how I go with it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have I have a buddy here who I've invited out multiple times yeah. to just Northgate, nothing fun or nothing crazy. Just like, hey, let's just go out to just grab a drink and just bullshit. Mm-hmm. And he's a good dude. Mm-hmm. It, we always have fun conversations um, that kind of just go in crazy directions. Our sense of humor is uh, pretty cohesive. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has a habit of flaking. Mm-hmm. 
and I, I did the whole three strikes with him, you know, invited him out three times, mm-hmm. three independent separate times. Mm-hmm. And after that third time, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to stop. Mm-hmm. Just give us some space mm-hmm. and let it happen naturally. Mm-hmm. And that, and nothing, he, he didn't text me and yeah. be like, hey, bro, we should go out and grab some lunch or yeah. something. So I, there are moments where I'll give and be the one yeah. offering, mm-hmm. like, hey, we should go do this, we should go, go do that. Mm-hmm. After a certain uh, finite amount of times, though, mm-hmm. I will be like, oh, well, I got to move on. Maybe because there's other people I could be hanging mm-hmm. out with and trying to set plans up with mm-hmm. who will be like, yeah, dude, I'm down. I'm down for that. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the pool. Let's go to Northgate. Let's mm-hmm. just catch up. And it's what I call, they just fold out my list, is that I'll invite everyone I can. Mm-hmm. But if, if I, I will never make plans with you ever again. You and me, if you're a flake, if you're a homebody, mm-hmm. and I try to make plans with you and you flake so many times, you, you will ne- never have the one-on-one thing. We'll never hang out like the high post method. Mm-hmm. Most of my friends, I meet them by just like bumping into them and having a long conversation. Now they're my friends. Yeah. And that's what attracted me to them. and That's what they like about me. Uh-huh. Sometimes, usually. But then when we're by ourselves hanging out, the yeah. moment they stop giving, stop respecting me, it mm-hmm. comes back to respect, kind of respect. Yeah. But I don't expect respect. But I expect some courtesy, I guess. Yeah. And I'm trying to get you out of here. I try a couple times and you stop You stop trying, is, is what I see it as. Yes. It's that whole give and take mm. idea that there's going to be certain situations in life where you're going to have to choose, is it worth giving in mm-hmm. or should I just pass? I think when you're dealing with friends, friends should, if they're truly your friends, they should always be willing mm-hmm. to give you the time to catch up. And or at least give you if they're really busy. I have a friend. Me and I were super busy. Yeah. So we say, when when's your next free month? Yes. Just like pick a date, and then I'll pick a date, and boom, we'll make, we'll make a plan. I I planned out until like June with some friends because we're that busy. But at least I'm making trying to make plans and trying to be you know accommodate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that they have shit going on in their, their life. Yeah. You got stuff going on in your life, mm-hmm. but you're making it a point to come together and be like, yes, we want to do this. But we both are busy. Mm-hmm. How can we accomplish it? Yeah. This date I'm free. Whether that be June or, you know, what, however many months or, or days maybe away. once a year, twice a year. It's sometimes that, yeah. that's what, like, my, not my biggest fear, but it's what I'm, I slowly see could happen with a lot of us. Yeah. As we slowly mature into our late 20s, early 30s, is that we're going to end to the point where we're all going to be friends, but we're going to be tertiary because we have other things in our lives we will get to the point and I guarantee this will happen to you not not fully like happened in my life but when you start working in your job mm-hmm. you have co-work because you have studied the brown nose sometimes you gotta play the part because that's your life that's your lifeline to make money all that stuff uh-huh. that's gonna consume some of your life and then your girlfriend's gonna consume your life and you, your, your last bit of free time is very rare it's, it's gonna suck but at the same time it's life life changes and we change your friends change and so how, how do you deal with change? Man, it's been weird because, at least in terms of, like, f- regarding, like, my friendships and stuff mm-hmm. like that, it's weird because I don't, co- I don't keep in constant contact with a lot of my circle of friends. But I go back, like, the past few times that I've seen my friends have been at weddings. And so you go to a wedding and you haven't seen each other for, like, a year, mm-hmm. year and a half, sometimes even longer than that. And it's, it's weird because, like, you're like, wow, I haven't seen you in fucking two years, dude. But you start talking, and it's almost as if there's no time that's been missing between the last time you guys saw each other. It's mm-hmm. like you're just still mm-hmm. in your groove, mm-hmm. you know, as friends. You just, you're just that comfortable with each other. 
that you can just pick up where you left off mm-hmm. every time. Those are those are the best friendships that I have mm-hmm. is those ones where you're not constantly texting each other every day like, mm-hmm. uh, what's up, man? Like, what are mm-hmm. you doing? Jerking off. Mm-hmm. Cool. You know, you're not doing that. Instead, like, you're giving each other space. And then when you do get time where you're, you know, the stars align and you are have the opportunity to mm-hmm. interact with each other, it's like there's been nothing missing. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, those two years... Is it really been two years that we've yeah. seen each other last? Jeez. So it's just been weird seeing that and seeing how your friends are changing. Um, one of the, one of the, my best friends uh, in college was like, didn't take school seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, always had a great time with them. Just always a fun time. Mm-hmm. Partied a lot. And now in life, you know, we're both the same age, like 27, 28. Mm-hmm. He's full on adult mode. Like He's had a serious job. Like for the entire time that I've been in grad school, dicking around, he's had a serious job, making serious income, mm-hmm. got getting married, owning a house, mm-hmm. serious adult shit, and he's living that life at the same age that I'm still stuck in this quasi collegiate it's, lifestyle. It's, it's a vacation. Right? It's what I call it. The last vacation. Last uh, someone who started really walking. It's it's how it's how I took advantage of that beautiful moment of college where. I don't regret it, but I realized, like, oh, shit, I could have done it better. Yeah. But we can do that. We can say that about every moment of our lives. So that's why I don't live with much regret. I try not mm-hmm. to live with much regret. And the idea is it's going back to taking things too personally. It goes back to being comfortable with yourself. The fact that your friends are moving and growing and changing, you shouldn't, in my opinion, make that a reflection of yourself. You should be proud of them. You mm-hmm. say, oh, I'm ready for this. Tell me more about it. Learn from them. Because you probably learned from that friend who grew up is that he's he's making it. So you should ask him like, "How yeah. are you doing? What do you do? What's your tricks? All that stuff." And you <laughs> learn from your friends who are either growing faster than you or slower than you. Uh-huh. You re- be there at different strokes because you all live at different strokes of your life. Uh-huh. You might have a kid before he does. You might have a kid before you do, and you trade information. It's all about trading. Knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you pretty good ideas. It's it's trade information. Yeah. That's what conversation connection is all about. Is trading stuff. Yeah, exchanging ideas, exchanging mm-hmm. experiences. Like, and it's funny because there's this mutual two-way street of like envy whenever we get together and talk with each other. Yeah. Because I'm envious of him because he's making serious income. He has expendable money mm-hmm. that he doesn't have to worry about. Like what we were talking about earlier at lunch was like getting to a point where you don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Like you're getting enough monthly. Yeah, I could get lobster. I could get filet mignon, mm-hmm. whatever. Not a big deal. Mm. Whereas as a grad student, I have to be like, is it SpaghettiOs or is it ramen noodles today? <laughs> like, those are my decisions that are presented before yeah. me. So I'm jealous of his life. He's got, he's in the adult life. He's in the real world. But and I bet you the same jealousy of your, of your life is that <laughs> you have free time. Yeah. You have no worries. And yeah. like a different kind of worries. Yep. And it's, it's a different kind of stress. It's a different kind of thought process and different things and different talk about this mask you have to wear growing up again and dealing with that change mm-hmm. and seeing that change in your friends mm-hmm. through your interactions mm-hmm. with respect to time as it passes by yeah it's been weird it's been weird seeing it but th- there's something comforting about it knowing that I can pick up the phone no matter how much time there's been mm-hmm. in between the last time we spoke mm-hmm. and I I don't try to assume a lot in life but you almost can assume that it's just gonna be your your friendship is just so solidified that it is the way it is. 
and that's you can always rely on that because it goes back to that you have made so many deep connections with them that time will wear them out yes it, it you might take, make, take longer to remember them but they're still there because in every relationship more so in intimate relationships than other relationships is that you give a lot of yourself to them you trade stuff mm-hmm. from that before where how you how you, now you are slowly gain style because of your girlfriend and she probably learned stuff about you you learn about technology you have pieces of information inside you that directly connect to somebody else. Yeah. If they code enough, you're an amalgam, you're a creation of those around you. And that's goddamn beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Part of my language, but it's gorgeous, the fact that <laughs> we are trading stuff, and this is, I think, a good point where it's about change. We change every single day. It's all about forward momentum. It's okay to fall back, it's okay to screw up, but damn it all, Look at look how much you've accomplished already. Look, look how many people you've affected. Look how many people you've touched. Look how many people you're gonna touch. Mm-hmm. In, in, in a good way, not, not a bad way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not in that kind of way. <laughs> that lawsuit kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dealing with that change mm-hmm. and being happy and recognizing aspects of your life that you've changed, mm-hmm. and but still not resting on your laurels and being like, "Well, I'm the king shit." That you still have more change to go, you know, we're 20 years in that 20 year age range. It's, we still got a lot of life, you know, if we're blessed with that we have to live and we're going to figure even more shit out. But yeah, as for now, it's weird seeing those changes in your friends, but then also it's so comforting yeah, having that sort of constant quality to it. I really appreciate that. And it's just something I wish I had more time too it's just and having those conversations always leave you with a positive feeling you know man i can't believe that it's been two years since i talked to him and you get off the phone or you're done facetiming and you feel better you feel better yeah like i don't know and yeah it just makes you miss miss that time of your life man i'm sounding like an old fuck right now <laughs> that's the secret is that we're all old people because we steal knowledge from people better than us so where we have like stolen the stories from people who you know like from movies all that stuff we like embody those things that are not ours all the time, but we make it ours and thereby we grow faster or less or whatever based on what we choose to take what we choose to give out because if you learn how to give out certain things and take from certain things you reach that balance control because that's the things you can control you control what you take and what you give. That's the biggest thing that I don't know how we ended up being this perfect connection of the first episode. Yeah, <laughs> because it, it's something that is, I think, just ever-present in everyone's lives, mm-hmm. is how much you're putting into stuff and how much you're getting out of stuff. It's just that basic, it's like basic physics, basic arithmetic, addition and subtraction, and what net result is that having in your life? So then, kind of wrap it up, since we hit so many different points, and I have a great idea what this this episode's gonna be. Shoot it out there for you so we can talk about it. Keep it. All right. It's it's mm-hmm. balance and control. It's just a give and take. It's, I don't want to say control and balance. Yeah. But balancing control. <laughs> balancing yeah. control. Yeah. Or yeah, some type of play between those two. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. And yeah, it does feed in with the whole give the whole and take theme stuff. of everything. The theme of this whole this whole episode kind of in some way think about where we've took this conversation. We're talking about how it's a balance of how you react to racism or tribalism. It's a balance of how you 
man up and be the funny guy. It's a balance. It's always balance and control of what you can and can't do, of how you choose to rev up your engine or rev down your engine, or where do you see things as a balance of how do you much envy someone, how much you want to change, yeah. how much you don't want to change, what kind of gravity you can make, and what, how do you balance out the social norms versus what your own normativity is. Yeah. And that encapsulates that message. Yeah. And how those two um, aspects can have some type of positive effect in your life or what the consequences of those two qualities lead to in your life. Mm-hmm. When once when you start getting pissed off about things that you can't control and it starts sucking your energy down mm-hmm. and yeah, or if you're out of balance and you're too far on one extreme, mm-hmm. how that has some type of effect on you. Just understanding the relationship between those I think is something that I'm always thinking about. And it's the motif of this an hour and a half long talk. And to cap it all off, I ask all my guests to do two things. Is Do you have a pen and paper around? Uh, You're a grad student. S- you have pen and paper somewhere, somewhere, yeah. I'll ask you. Do the, I need it right now? Uh, after I ask you this question. Okay. The, the question I, I like asking is a capstone is that I named this podcast Inseparably Human. After talking for an hour and a half, what do you think I was trying to get get out? What do you think that phrase means to you? Insufferably human. I think I what I take away from it is there's a certain, I think, humbleness to understanding that as a human being, understanding why we're here, what we're doing in our lives, and having a humble outlook on that and recognizing the limitations of being human and how we're all trying to strive for the same thing. We're all connected because we're all the same, you know, we're made up of the same matter. So the fact that we're all human, that we can share these experiences, even though we go through different lives, there are these things that connect all of us. And one of those things happens to be a lot of negative, bad shit. And it's just how we balance that bad shit, you know, being humans and how we can take that and um, be comfortable with it that it's okay that we don't really all have it figured out and that we're trying to be better it's part of being human actually the 